here we are in our last week of our series, Life's Healing Choices. And what we've said was for eight weeks now, we've said that if you will make some choices that Jesus Christ laid out in uh, Matthew chapter 5, specifically the, the Beatitudes, which are the, the, the blessed, blessed be this, blessed be this. We said that you will be satisfied with your life. You'll be happy with your life if you'll follow this, this pathway that Jesus Christ set out. And so today we are at verse 9 of chapter 5, and verse 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers. God wants you to be a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. Here's the thing. You make peace with God, and then God wants you to make peace with other people. But you can't do the peace thing with others until you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And that's what recovery from hurts, habits, and hang-ups is all about. That's what it means, finding the peace of God in your heart. Once you begin to experience spiritual growth, which is what uh, healing Emotional and spiritual healing is that spiritual growth. Once you begin to experience that, then God wants you to share those things with others. In fact, this is proof that you are on the road to recovery and that you have recovered is when you begin to share things with others. So if you ever ask the question, how do I know when I'm over my past? How do I know when I'm over my hurts, my habits and my hangups? Well, the answer is simple. How do you know when you're over the big pain in your life, the betrayal, the resentment, the rejection, the abuse? How do you know when you've gotten over the hurt that goes all the way back to your childhood, that hurt from your marriage? You know it when you, you know you'll recover when you begin sharing that for other people's benefit. You, you, you help other people in the exact area where you've been hurt. You don't waste the hurt. See, God never wastes the hurt. We waste hurt all the time. God doesn't waste hurt in your life. And if you're not helping anybody else with what with the hurt that you've been through in your life, that means you're not recovered yet. You've still got some work to do. You're, you may be way back. You took an exit long before you got to the recovery uh, on this road. So the proof of recovery is when you begin to help others in the exact area where you've been struggling maybe for years. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, this is God's ministry. Look at it. God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world. Where we find recovery, where we find healing from all the junk in our past is from God. First, we make peace with God. And then God talks about this whole forgiveness thing. And we've studied this for eight weeks now, that that when God forgives you, you are then enabled to forgive someone else. Oh, well, you don't know what they did. I don't care what they did. There is nothing a person can do to you that's worse than what you and I did to Jesus Christ that put an innocent man on the cross to purchase our lives, to to pay for our sin. There's nothing any person can do to you that's worse than what you've done to God. So when you see God and you accept His forgiveness, that enables you, gives you this, this supernatural power that enables you to forgive anybody who's done anything to you, regardless of how bad the, the rejection, the betrayal, whatever it was, you are enabled then to forgive others. So with that in mind, look at this verse again. God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world. And he has given us the work of sharing his message about peace. He's given us peace when we begin to recover and heal from all of our junk in our past. And then our job from that moment on is to help share that peace with other people. So you know you've recovered when you begin sharing with other people in that area where you've been hurt. This choice, you know, we've said there's eight choices. This choice is called the sharing choice. And here's what it says. I choose to yield myself to God to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and by my words. 
my greatest ministry in my life will flow out of my pain. Your greatest ministry in your life will flow out of your pain, not out of your strengths or your talents. You see, people can, can be impressed with whatever your strengths or talents are. But when they're going to learn from you, everybody can learn from your pain. Everybody can learn from the junk in your life. Very few people actually learn from your strengths. They may say, oh, pat you on the back. Oh, you do great at this. You're great at this. But very few people learn and have lasting change in their life from your strengths. Where people learn and they, can, they realize that, that God is powerful enough to help anybody overcome their past is when they hear your mess-ups and how God has um, helped you recover and He has cleansed you and purified you and He has restored you to a place that you never thought you would get before. When people hear about that, they start to think, maybe the same God that helped them can help me. And if you think about this, it only makes sense. Who can better help the parents of special needs children than someone who has raised a special needs child? Who can better help somebody going through bankruptcy than somebody who's been through bankruptcy? And, and many people here have been through Financial Peace University. You ever heard the name Dave Ramsey? Dave was a millionaire, lost it all, every bit of it. And his ministry has been built on helping other people experience financial peace. Not many of us have financial peace, right? Especially this time of year when you're thinking, oh man, charge it. Put it on the credit card. And then in January, there's not much financial peace when that little, uh, that little letter comes from the credit card company. Not a lot of peace there, is there? But Dave has been through it and he can walk you through the process of, of experiencing financial peace yourself. Who better can help somebody experiencing the heartbreak of rejection or divorce than somebody who's already walked that path and found out that God indeed heals? In fact, if you've been here any of the time in this series, you've heard from people who've gone through divorce. You've heard from people who were almost divorced. You've heard from people who had drug addictions. You've heard from people who had pornography addictions. (laughs) I can't talk. You've heard from people who can't talk and maybe have been healed from that. You've heard about all of these people that God moved them from where they were to where they are today. And if you looked at their lives, if all you did was look at their lives from the outside, you'd say, man, there's nothing wrong with them. They've got a perfect life. And then they start to tell you, let me tell you where I've come from. And it changes your perspective because they are doing what God has shown them that they need to do. Who better to help someone who's been molested and raped than someone who has come through that and says, yes, it hurt. Yes, it was a terrible experience. But God is faithful. Because you are the only people who can say to them, I know how you feel. I don't know if you've been through tragedy in your life, but the worst thing is people, people saying, oh, I know how you feel. And you're looking at them and saying, when did you go through this experience? But if they have, they have a whole new level of credibility in your eyes. And that's what the church is designed to be. A group of people who have healed from something or at least are on the road to recovery. You don't have to be all the way healed. You just have to be two or three steps down the road and say, this is what God did for me. And we're going to look at what God wants you to share today. The point is, don't waste your pain. If you hold it in, hide it, keep it from everybody else, not only is it not going to help you, We've said all along, our secrets make us sick. The things that you don't want anybody to know, that you think everybody would reject you for, that's what's got to come out in the open. Because as long as there are secrets, Satan has all of this power in your life. As soon as you bring it out into the open, he loses that power and you begin to heal. If you don't do that, it doesn't do anybody any good. You any good or anyone else. But if you're honest with God and you're honest with yourself and you're honest with a few Christian people, 
God can use the very thing you hate the most in your life, the thing you are most disappointed about in your life, the thing you reject the most in your life, you're most miserable about, miserable about in your life. God says, I can use that. Even though you wish it had never happened before, God says, yes, it happened. But I have so much power that if you'll allow me to, I can work something that you never would have dreamed if I had told you Ahead of time, if you'll only trust me. And God says, regardless of whether you made the bad choices or someone else made the bad choices that hurt you, God says, there's three things about your pain you need to know. God says, if you'll, if you'll tell me, not only can I use it for your benefit, that's one. God says, he'll use your pain for your benefit. He'll also use it for his purpose in the world. And then he'll use it to build other people up. But you got to be willing to share it for that to happen. Well, okay, specifically, what can I share? What do I have to share that would help others? Number one, you share how pain got my attention. Proverbs twenty thirty says, Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Anybody seen that in your own life? You keep doing something really, really stupid until it hurts so bad that you have to quit? You see this in children all the time. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. Okay, get hurt. And then they reach out and they touch the flame. Ah, that hurts. Yeah, dipstick, I tried to tell you. But as adults, we're no different. People say to us all the time, don't do that. I've been there, don't do that. No, you don't know what you're talking about. We might not say to their face, you don't know what you're talking about, but our actions say, you don't know what you're talking about. And then when we get hurt, oh, They may not say, I told you so, but they want to say, I told you so. And they have to hug you and say, when are you going to quit inflicting pain on your own life? Come on. We need to, here's the thing. Humans are so bizarre. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Right? We change when the pain hurts so bad that it overcomes our fear of change. That's when we really change. And and see, the Bible, if you study the Bible, you'll find out that God uses pain in a number of ways in our lives. God uses pain to inspect us. It reveals what's inside of us when we go through pain. God uses pain to correct us. Don't do that or stop doing that, just like you do with your child. Don't do that. Stop doing that. God uses pain that way. God uses pain to direct us to the right path. God may want us to go some way, but he knows if we're comfortable, we're not going to go that way, so he lets a little pain come into our lives to direct us to the correct path. God uses pain to perfect us and build character in our lives because very rarely does character come out when you're comfortable, right? So God builds some character. But the number one way that God uses pain in our lives is to get our attention. It's this megaphone shouting out, I need you to pay attention. And, and you know, some of us, quite honestly, takes a lot more pain to get us to pay attention because we're stupid. We're hard-headed, stupid people. Now, you've heard the story of, um, of the prodigal son. Many of you have heard this. He had everything that he ever wanted. And, and basically, he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead, but because you're taking so long to die, I want you to go ahead and give me my inheritance. So the dad gives him the, the inheritance. So he goes to what would be the equivalent of Vegas for us. He goes to the Bellagio in, in Jerusalem. And he spends all of his money on wine and women, especially the women. He spends it all, and then you know what happens? He's dirt broke, and the only job he can get is feeding pigs. Now, if you're a Jew, 
the absolute lowest job you can have is hanging out with pigs because pigs aren't kosher. You're not supposed to eat them. You're not supposed to hang out with them. You're not supposed to eat, be anywhere near them. He's in a pig slop and he's so hungry. He's so far from God, so far from his, his uh, relational position in the family that he looks at the pig slop and he thinks, the pigs got it better than I do. And one of the best verses in the Bible is that when he's laying down there, and we've said this all, week, all, all this, these eight weeks, you've heard people say, I finally reached the bottom. Well, the Bible says when he reached the bottom, here's one of the greatest verses. He came to his senses. You ever wish somebody you know who's self-destructing over and over would just come to their senses? Come on, wake up. When he finally got to the bottom, he came to his senses. And when you get there, when you get to the bottom and you come to your senses, God wants you to share your journey. Well, what does he want to share? There's several things. Specifically, he wants me to share my feelings. We've said this before. Revealing my feelings is the beginning of healing. But the problem, especially, in, and I, this is probably worldwide, but I'm just going to talk about men, and especially Texas men, and, and specifically East Texas men, we're not real good at sharing our feelings. There's this rumor going around that, that East Texas men only share two feelings on a regular basis, when they're hungry and when they want sex. <laughs> confirmed. Misconfirmed. <laughs> Guys, if we would only clue into this one and share our feelings, we'd get a whole lot more food and sex. Just, again, myth confirmed. 2 Corinthians 6.11, I want you to see what Paul had to say about this. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He has started a church there. He's gone off and he's written this letter. Look what he says. We have spoken frankly to you. We have opened our hearts wide. And here's what Paul is trying to get a point, uh, uh, the point across to them. He's saying, not only did we come and teach you the right thing, we opened up our hearts to you. We shared what was inside our hearts. We went out on a limb and gave it all for you. We shared our feelings. Guys, I'm telling you, if you're married, your wife wants to know about your feelings. If you're not married and you're faking it, when you get married, she's going to want to know about your feelings. Some of you are laughing. You're like, yeah, that's how I got married. And darn, it's caused a lot of problems. Second thing God, uh, God wants you to share is your faults. And the tradition I grew up in, you wouldn't dare admit your faults to anybody. And you sure wouldn't share it in church. So... Look what Galatians 6, 5 said. Each of us must bear the faults and burdens of his own, for none of us is perfect. Again, God wants us to confess. First John, he says, confess your sins. And God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But do you remember what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said? He said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. If you keep doing the same thing over and over, I'm willing to bet either you haven't confessed to God, you're not even admitting it to yourself, and I'm willing to bet that third one you have not confessed to, and it doesn't mean you go out and you confess to some dipstick out on the road. You find some people you can trust who are further down the road towards Christ than you are, you share with them. Happens every Sunday night in Celebrate Recovery. Happens in our step studies, which are on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursday nights. 
People are being open and honest. And, and I'm telling you, some of, the, some of the most worshipful times that go on at New Life Community Church don't happen Sunday from 11 to 12. They happen Sunday nights from 5 to 7, or specifically, they happen on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and Thursday nights when people are meeting for step studies, and that's when healing takes place. That's when there is a holy hum that goes on on this property because God is honored that some people are being real with themselves and real with a few others, and God is beginning to heal them. It is an incredible process to watch and one that I wish everybody could go through. Another thing God wants you to share is your failures. 1 Timothy 1.15 Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. If you read the rest of this section, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he says, well, I helped kill a guy because he was a Christian. That's a pretty big failure in his past. And he said, not only that, I went around to all of the churches where Christians gathered, and I persecuted them. That's pretty big failures in his past. But Paul was not going to try to hide those and cover them. He was going to be open and honest about them and then talk about how God brought him from, a, from someone who would agree to the murder of an innocent man, from someone who would throw Christians in jail just simply because they were Christ followers, to someone who said, I will suffer for the name of Christ. And he said, it's better for me that I die, but it's better for you that I stay alive. So I'll go through all kinds of trials and tribulations so that you might hear the message of Jesus Christ. You might be healed. So you share your failures. Next one is you share your frustrations. Romans 7, 18 and 19. Even when I want to do right, I cannot. Instead of doing what I know is right, I do wrong. Paul's just keeping it real. Have you ever struggled and said, man, I don't want to do this thing again? Well, when Paul was open and honest, he's giving us kind of a roadmap of how we should deal with our frustrations. Don't try to deal with it on your own. Get into a loving group of people of the same sex, by the way. We have a big group meeting at Celebrate Recovery, but then when we go into the, the share time, it's always same sex. Our step studies are same sex because you don't need to be opening up and revealing all of this stuff with somebody of the opposite sex. This is not a pickup group. You don't want to pick up the people in recovery until they're recovered. But let me say this. Once they've recovered, there's nobody I, I would rather, as your pastor, you to pick up. Because you're dating people that are jacked up. At least in recovery, they're honest about it. Yep, I know I'm jacked up and I'm doing something about it. So you share your frustrations, and that's the pathway to become healed. And then the last thing is we share our fears. The cool thing about sharing your fears, and this is what the world will not tell you. When you share your fears, it does two things. It's kind of like a pressure valve. The pressure builds up and builds up and builds up. When you share your fears with someone else, it releases that pressure valve in you. So it lessens your fear. But God does this amazing thing and he lessens the fear in the other people that you share with who are struggling with the same issues. It's a double dip on the pressure release valve. And only God accomplishes that when you are open and honest. So when you're honest about your feelings, your faults, your failures, your frustrations and your fears, guess what? You are on the road. We call it the road to recovery. You're on that road and some people are further down the road than others. But there's a second thing God wants us to share on this road, and it's what I learned. 
What are the lessons God taught you that you can pass on? Part of the reason I got into youth ministry when, when I was 19 is because I desperately wanted to tell teenagers, don't do it the way I did it. Don't, don't follow the path that I did because I had a lot of idiocy in my past. I, I still have a lot of that because part of it's genetic and Caleb will agree to that. Um, but at least it's not rebellion nowadays. It's just genuine idiocy. Um, that's the Washburn gene that, that, that doesn't skip any generations. Um, but see, here's the thing. You've all heard that it's, it's wise to learn from your mistakes, right? It's so much wiser to learn from the mistakes of others. None of us has enough time to make all the mistakes ourselves. Quit trying and learn from somebody else. I hear all the time from people in recovery, they learn some things along their journeys to to the bottom. What they learn is that God is faithful and can be trusted. Anybody from recovery agree with that statement? God is faithful. They learn that God's word is a roadmap that will never lead you down the wrong path. And they learn that they need other people in their lives. As long as they're isolated, Satan has power and they never get well. But when they can't come and they get some like-minded people heading towards Christ, somehow they're carried along in that process. And before they know it, they look more like Christ. I hear this stuff all the time. So I share how, my pain, how pain got my attention. And I share what I learned. And there's a third thing that God wants us to share with others. And that's that God can bring good out of bad. Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses of the Bible. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Now, this verse does not say that God causes everything to happen. God did not make you make stupid decisions. Dumb choices that cause pain in your life. God did not make other people who've made dumb decisions that hurt you. God didn't force them to make those decisions. God allows it to happen. So this verse does not say that God causes everything to happen. What the verse says is, regardless of who made the dumb decision that hurt you, God can work all of it, good or bad, for good in your life. If you'll allow him to. But have you ever wondered what the good is? I've heard many times people standing at the side of a a bed of a loved one in in the hospital and someone will come in and say, well, God can work it all together good. And, And I'm standing there going, dude, you need to shut up unless you're going to tell them what the good is. And I had a seminary professor who went through, he, coolest professor ever, he used to read out of the Greek New Testament one time, one of the classmates, they said, uh, Dr. McGorman, what, what, are you, what translation are you using? And he's like, the Greek New Testament. Oh, pretty impressive. And he read this verse to us, because I was taking the book of Romans, and he said, don't you ever quote verse 28 without also quoting verse 29. Because the good that God's going to do in your life, whether it's good or bad, the good he's going to do comes in verse 29. Well, let's look at what verse 29 says. For God knew his people in advance... That means before you were ever created, before you were ever born, before the world was created, God knew which of you would come to him. And he chose you to become like his son. Hmm. 
the good that God wants to do, whether it's good or bad that's in your past, is he wants to make you look like Jesus. He wants you to bear the family resemblance. And most of the time, it takes painful experiences for us to even come to God and allow him to chip off the rough edges and change us to look like Jesus. The good, no matter what happens in your life, the good that God can do is he can mold everything so that you begin to resemble Jesus Christ a little bit more. And it's a lifelong process. He doesn't stop as long as you have breath on this earth. He will continue to mold and shape you to look like Jesus Christ. And see, have you ever wondered why Christians, a lot of people think if you come to Christ, you quit having problems? That's not true. Bad things happen to to people who aren't Christian. Bad things happen to people who are Christian so that the world can see the difference in how Christians handle it. When we whine and moan, oh, it's so bad. Go live in a third world country for a while and see how bad you've got it right now. Just walk across our city and look at some of the housing situations and compare yours. You don't have it so bad. Many times it takes pain for us to even come to God. And then God says, okay, now I can make you look like Jesus because you're trusting me. Now, we got to be honest about our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. And here's one of the deals. You will never resemble Christ. You never start to look more like Christ in isolation. It always happens in the context of a group. That's why Jesus Christ started the church. God established, in Genesis, He established the physical family. In Matthew, Jesus Christ established the spiritual family. And the two institutions that God started, physical and spiritual family, is what Satan brings all the power of hell against to try to mess you up. But God says, I am so powerful that I can use good or bad to make you look like my son so that... Maybe somebody will see you going through a similar situation and they'll say, you have something I don't have. What is it? Now, that's good news to me. The message from Genesis to Revelation is that God can take good or bad to make you look more like Christ. That's good news. And just in case you wonder what this would look like in in a practical situation, check out this video. All right, I'm here with uh, Donald Melendez, and uh, this is kind of a special interview uh, for me because I, I believe God has been uh, kind of leading you to this for a long time. Um, Donald was our worship uh, pastor, worship leader a few years ago, and there were some things that happened, specifically um, sexual sin and I went to Donald, and we had to remove you from that position. Um, now, you recognize what you did was was against God's laws, right? Of course, yeah. Uh, and and how, how did that make you feel when you realized what had happened, when you realized that, that you were no longer going to be a worship leader? What were some of the things that you went through? What did you feel about that? I felt like crud, man. I just, uh, after it, it was just kind of a shell shock, shock thing. I never really, I never really saw myself getting into that, you know, and being in that position and being removed from that position, you know. I was just, uh, after the initial shock about all of it, the, uh, the guilt set in. Not only, you know, I let, I let the church down, I let a lot of people that I love down, 
and was leading down, you know, trying to be an example to, um, but I let myself down. And that was through the years. It's been a three-year process. And through the years, um, that dealing with the guilt and, and dealing with uh, myself, because uh, as you said last Sunday, you know, you, you talk to yourself more than anybody else. And, you know, I'll just, there'd be times when I'll just be so down on myself, you know. And, you know, the only thing that would really help me is, I would be around people that, that, you know, knew me and really cared about me regardless of that mistake that I made, you know. And being being around people like that is what, what really pulled me through and helped me helped me through and get through those times. What do you want to say to the church or what do you want to ask the church specifically at, at this time in your life? Uh, if, I was, if I was standing in front of the church right now, I would say um, I'm really sorry for what happened. I let... As I said, I let myself down, and I let you guys down. That's been taking me three years, going on three years, to uh, just kind of get my bearings again and uh, realize that I needed, I need to be on stage and I need to be playing. But my heart, my heart, after all that happened, my heart got hard toward God, and uh, I was kind of closed off toward people besides the pe- the people that I, that I really hang out with and I really trust. I didn't really feel like I trusted, you know, a lot of people, you know, after all that. Um, I just kind of secluded myself from everybody, and I felt felt like an outcast, and it was just kind of like a domino effect. Saying sorry didn't come easy because I was so trying to uh, get over get over the shock of all of it and get over myself, really. Was there any type of spiritual input going on in your life at that time? Uh, after it all, after after that Sunday, when I was told I couldn't play anymore, <laughs> I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't do nothing spiritually. I, I shut down, man. I, I quit going to church, and uh, I started, I got in my head early on that, you know, when you talk to me about coming for the church and doing that, uh, doing kind of what we're doing right now, I was just, I got in my head that I don't need to do that. You know, that's my personal thing. That's something I've got to live with, and uh, I'll live with it and move on, you know. And you felt it was that's kind of none of the church's business. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, this needs to happen, what we're doing now. But I didn't, at the time, I didn't feel like it was so personal to me, and it was so it was so fresh that I was just like, you know, this. I need to deal with this, you know, myself and and try to get over this. That's not the way to deal with it. I need to be around. And that's why I started coming back to New Life. I, I shut down for a few months and didn't do nothing. And then I was like, I need to be around people that love me and really care about me. That's really what drew me back to New Life. I started going and going as just a you know an attendee you know just as somebody sitting in the pew that was a restoring process you know that was huge for me i wasn't on stage for you know playing and doing that but i was there you know i was there was people around me that that really understand grace and really get get that there's you know people mess up and people make mistakes even if you are high up on the leadership chain you know you're going to fall sometimes and so that's what's kept me in new life this whole time. Now, you, how long had you been playing, leading, singing up to that point? Uh, I started playing guitar when I was 12, and uh, 
met the Lord when I was 12. And uh, by, by age 14, I was leading worship for the youth group. And just started playing, and it was fun. You know, I had, I had a good time. Just played all through high school, and we were in the band. Me and Nathan, we were in a band and traveled around and stuff while we were in high school. You know, ever since I was 14, I've been gone, you know. But there came a time, right out of high school, I was offered a position at a church in Jacksonville. And uh, I took that, and I thought it would be a fun, you know, fun experience and a good experience. But it turned out it wasn't so fun. Ministry isn't always what it's cracked up to be, is it? Definitely not. You start getting in there, and there's politics and people uh, taking advantage of you, and you're just working like crazy, not getting paid much, you know. It was just, uh, I started realizing, you know, maybe this isn't for me. You know, maybe this church thing, you know, working for a church isn't for me. So that's kind of where Satan started working on me, you know. Mm-hmm. Music wasn't fun to me, you know, it was just like a job. From then on, I just started, you know, getting complacent and started compromising. and Those C's we talked those about. Those C's, yeah. I just, uh, it was just kind of a downhill thing. And looking back, you can probably see that progression that right. started with complacency and then confusion, right. you know. And Well, what's bad is I brought that experience into New Life when I started leading worship. Mm-hmm. Even though New Life was a good experience, I still was, you know, dealing with all that. And still music wasn't very much fun, you know. Right. And so I want to get back to that place where music is a blast and I, I want to be on stage having fun, not, right. you know, trying to trying to pay the bills with my music or whatever. It just, right. just have fun. What was it like coming back that first time, and why did you keep coming back? Uh, at first I was like, you know, that's the way I'll deal with it. I'll never come back, you know. I'll just leave, you know, and change change churches or, you know, just move on, you know. Um, but I started getting phone calls from people. Um, Alex Maldonado was the first one. They called and said, man, I know you messed up or, you know, I know what happened, but we still want you a new life. You know, we still love you. And, uh, you know, there was other people. Wes, you know, Wes even came and ate lunch with me after it all happened. And, you know, there's people reaching out to me. And that says something. You know, when you're just removed from leadership. Right. You know, you should be an outcast, you know. But people drawing you back in, that's pretty cool. That's That, that don't happen in many churches. And that's what kept me coming back. So uh, why now, um, you said, you know, you had to go through some process, but what has led you to now being willing to talk about something that was very personal, um, that, that hurt you, hurt your pride, um, you know, took something away that, that you love to do? Why now would you be willing to come forward and, and, uh, and seek restoration? Because uh, I've, I've just realized, you know, that hurt, what I did hurt a lot of people. You know, this is this is kind of the last step to it. But the first step to me was rebuilding all my relationships. You know, this doesn't rebuild relationships. You know, all the stuff, you know, doing, doing things with people and uh, spending time with people is what rebuilds relationships. And this is just kind of the tail end of it. You know, this is the final process. You said something to me that that you have a fear about stepping back into the band and and into leadership. What what is that fear? <laughs> my fear, I guess, it comes from Satan. But my fear is that uh, I'll screw it up again. You know, I had a pastor 
tell me to turn in a resume not too long ago to, to hire, you know, hire on. I just started talking to myself again and I said, you know, you'll probably screw it up. I didn't even turn in a resume, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it because I just was afraid that I, you know, screwed up again, but that's my fear, you know. I've just realized that, you know, I'm not done screwing up. You know, I'm going to screw up and I'm going to screw up some more. I'll just have to, uh, everything good that I do is going to come from, you know, the grace that God gives me. So I guess I'll just have to get over that. What can New Life do as a church to help you, to pray for you, um, to encourage you? Well, just uh, what's, what New Life has done already is befriend me, you know, when I, when I was at my lowest. That's all I could ask is just keep being my friend and, you know, just keep on, you know, encouraging me because they've already done it. There's been a lot of people just encourage me and, and help me along the way. To to someone who has who maybe feels like they are at the bottom, what would you tell them about Christ, and what would you tell them about a church that is functioning properly? What are what are some things you would say to those folks? I would say that when you're at your lowest, your main enemy is going to be, for me personally, was getting over myself and not trying to deal with it myself, and. Uh, that led to me secluding myself, pride building up in my heart, and you know becoming very hard-hearted. And so that's that's something you got to guard yourself against if you're uh, you know going through the valley like I was or I am. You got to surround yourself with people that love you. And if you're if you're down, you need to sit in the pew at New Life and come to New Life because that's where people love you. So here's the deal. Um, the reason this needed to be done publicly was because he, he was in a position of leadership and, and it became a very public issue um, in our church. Small church, you can't keep things like that quiet. So some of you are just freaking out thinking, you know, I don't want my past known. Well, if you're not in leadership, then, then that doesn't happen this way. But here's the thing. Uh, as a church... We, we've always tried to deal with things just as honestly and openly as we could. And so Donald comes today seeking restoration. And because he was in a leadership position and it affected the church, restoration needs to come from the church. And so let me ask first, do you forgive Donald? Accept his forgiveness. I felt pretty certain you would. Um, and so what, what will happen in the future, we'll, we'll plug Donald in slowly in different things. The last thing we want to do is hurt this young man. He means a lot to me personally. He means a lot to lots of you in the church. We want to, to try to surround him and encourage him and build him up and, and set him up for success. And so we want you to pray that, that God would envelop his heart that God would renew his passion. He's gifted by God, musically, gifted. Um, and, and so 
the passion has, has drained away because of choices he made. He knows that. And so Paul said to Timothy, he said, I pray that God would fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. So I'm asking you to pray that God would fan into flame that gift that he's given Donald and that, that he will have wisdom and discernment as he moves forward in his life. And here's the thing. This has been done publicly. And so you hear somebody talking about, oh, I can't believe that Donald Bland is up there. You are your brother's keeper. And you say, you don't even know what you're talking about. You want to get the, the tape or you want to go on iTunes and listen to it? Then you can make a comment. But until you know what you're talking about, shut up in the name of Jesus. Because we're not going to put up with that. When you forgive someone and you restore someone, that wipes out all the opportunity for gossip. So we're not going to do that. If you want to talk to him, you talk to him. That's fine. Don't talk to other people about it. It's none of their business. All right? Love you, bro. Now, here's the thing. When you go through the process, Donald stood up in front of you. So don't tell me, you know, that your past is so scary that, you know, people can't. No. We've, we've had all kinds of stuff in our church that God has healed people from. So when you go through a process, no matter what the pain is in your past, God can use it for his good 